0: Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm going to talk about what does it mean? What does it mean when God says he wants to move mountains? Now, the most familiar passage in the Bible where this appears is John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And in that verse, excuse me, in that chapter, uh, Matthew 3 and Luke 3, he is referencing the chapter of Isaiah 40. So I'm going to read Isaiah 40 and then I'm going to read Luke 3 and then we're going to talk about what it means. Here we go. Isaiah 40, New King James Version. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her, that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made smooth, and the rough places smooth. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance who has directed the spirit of the lord or as his counselor has taught him with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and who taught him in the path of justice who taught him knowledge and who showed him the way of understanding behold the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, And the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood it from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, quote, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even the youth shall be faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is, with some verbal mistakes on my part, the entire chapter of Isaiah 40. Wow. Most of you... Most of us, if we've grown up in the Christian church, are familiar with the end of the chapter, um, you know, rise up on eagle's wings. And many of us are familiar with that verse in the middle, you know, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And we're familiar with the beginning of it, where John references as, you know, make straight the paths in the wilderness, and the mountains will be brought down and the hill, valleys will be filled. Um, But it's an amazing thing when we recognize that they're in a cohesive environment within Scripture. That they go together. Oh, it was Philippians 4 when I figured that out. And I'm not going to tangent on it, but it's really good. Philippians 4 is chock full of um, uh, poster verses, shall we say. Poster child verses. Oh, I like that. So, um... First of all, this is a huge chapter, um, and I'm I'm just gonna try to summarize it so that we can break down and yeah. Cause this, you could preach on Isaiah 40 all by itself. You could preach on a verse of Isaiah 40 all by itself. It it's mm, oh, this is like chocolate cheesecake right here. Okay, so he says, "Comfort my people." You have received double consequences for your sins. And here's the prophet preparing the way for the Lord. The goodness and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing now. Please forgive me. Um, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And we are going to recognize our <laughs> temporalness. Oh, gosh. Dear dear me, can I please choose a smaller word? Um we recognize our fragility in the face of God's character, in the face of his word, and yet he's full of goodness, he brings good tidings, and say to the cities of Judah, behold your God, he is strong, and he's powerful, and he's coming to gently care for us like a shepherd, gathering the lambs in his arm and carrying them in his bosom and gently leading those who are with young and now it transitions to talking about, yo, this dude is big. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Measured the heavens. You know when you spread your hands out and you, you spread your pinky to your thumb and you look at how big it is and you kind of use that to gauge how My mom says it's about nine inches, but you know, put it up to a ruler. Figure out your own span. Um, God's span measures the heavens. So to, for him to measure the solar system, he's just like, eh, yeah, yeah. Pink, pinky to thumb And he's calculated the dust of the earth In the measure Weighed the mountains in scales Like have you been to the Rockies Have you seen the pictures of the Rockies Imagine putting those in like Um Um A balance Like you know heavy thing over here Heavy thing over here Oh yeah that's that's how heavy that is oh, Mind blowing Mind blowing Um, and then who has directed the spirit of God? Like, who taught him the things? This is very reminiscent of the end of Job right here. Because God's like, uh, yo, were you there when I laid the foundations? I don't think so. Oh, um, and then it transitions to this, to this passage. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Oh man, it's like, yo, you are so small. Do you have any idea how small you are? The nations are a drop in the bucket. And they're counted like small dust on the scales. Okay, so if you're in a shop and you buy a pound of wheat, the salesperson has a, a scale with you know you know the when you go to the courthouse or you see the statues of the woman with the blindfold on and she's holding the scales of the, the things on either side. That's what we're talking about here. So you've got a a standardized weight on one side that is a pound, and then you put you know, a pound of wheat on the other side until it's level and then you know that you're buying a pound of wheat. Um, the nations are kind of like small dust on the scales, like eh, they don't even matter. They're, n- they're not, they're negligible. Eh, eh, it doesn't matter. Like, wow. So shrink us and our problems and the problems of the world down to like small dust on the scales? Wow, yikes. Um, This is an interesting sentence. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Wow. Lebanon was known for having massive cedar trees. If you go to um, (laughs) the part of the Bible that talks about King David and Solomon. um, I want to say 1 Kings. Maybe 2 Samuel. One of those. Because Samuel anointed King David. So, yeah. Within one of those books, um, it talks about how Solomon went to Lebanon to get cedars for the temple. Lebanon was known for their trees, and and here it says Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. There's not enough wood. There's not enough wood in Lebanon. Like that's like saying um, there's not enough sand in the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> like that's that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so. Uh, Now that he's shrunken down, you know, the size of the nations down to, like, eh, with much poetic repetition. Um, He says, to whom will you liken God and what likeness will you compare to him? Then it starts talking about, these the people who make carved images? Like, back in the day, you would make a carved image to worship so that, um, you know, you could, like have sex and orgies and like hopefully that would fertilize your crops because that was the demonic thinking that was logical at the time that's why Israel was supposed to go through and kill all the Canaanites because their sin had had gotten that bad um but then they didn't kill all of them so then they started adopting their culture because bad company corrupts good character and that's in the book of Proverbs so yeah um and then it says, uh, why are you even trying to make something to compare to god's character now we um we we don't have graven images quite like that, but we huh, huh, I let me try I um I worship I struggle with idolizing status I struggle with idolizing how people see me um, you know part of me oh gosh I'm, eh, let's let's go personal for a minute um Pardon me. Okay. So, I struggle with judging people who put on a perfect life. And like, oh, look at my facade. Isn't it so nice? Yes, just see my facade and don't see what's going on behind me. They just say, thank you. Do not look at the man behind the curtain. Um, however, I'm guilty of a similar thing by saying, by going to the opposite extreme, which is, um, <laughs> um, This is my entire life story, and if you knew everything I'd been through, you would understand me, and you wouldn't judge me. Because ultimately, the facade and the over-authenticity, they're opposite expressions of the same desire, which is to prevent other people from judging you. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. So much awkwardness right there. So, um... I used to be very vulnerable and open to share my story because I didn't want people to judge me. And now I'm at the place where I'm doing it because... And, and the important thing is my motivation. Um, I'm I, I'm sharing my story regularly and publicly and as loud as possible because I want other people to know that there's grace for so much stuff. And... Um, my my struggle reveals the glory of God. And you know, if sharing my testimony makes someone else stronger for their battle to have faith, why would I dishonor God by hiding his glory and putting a lamp underneath a bowl or underneath a bed? No. A lamp is put on a lampstand in the center of the room like a chandelier. You don't put a chandelier underneath a bed to modernize what Jesus said from the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, now that we've completely tangented from Isaiah 40, please excuse me, um, who are you comparing to God? Me is me going is me trying to have like the perfect social media because yes, I obsess over that. Sorry? Not sorry. I'm human, you're human. Okay, let's talk. Um is me obsessing over having perfect social media going to does that compare anything to God's character? No. No. Does me having unrealistic expectations for my husband compare to God's character? Mm, no. No. So, um, I don't know who your god is. Oh, there's definitely the god of, oh, when I get married one day. It's like, girl, it is a heck of a lot harder to love your husband in person than it is to love him in your mind before he exists, like, before that happens. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm so guilty of this. I, I talked about this in another recent podcast. Um, the, the husbands and the difference between husbands and fathers. Uh. Like. Yeah. So. Um. Idolatry. Mm. So, so much idolatry. You know. And I have worshipped at that altar so much, eh, so much. I I finally pitched in. Uh, some of those journals. It was. It was a a good. Good thing because that, th- that was a serious idol in my life. I mean, understandably so, but at the same time, at a certain point, you have to let God kick your idols out from underneath your feet and, um, like, turn to Him. Or you just keep turning back to different versions of the same idol. So, yeah. So, Isaiah 40 God is a big God. He sits above the circle of the earth, and we, its inhabitants, are like grasshoppers. He brings the princes, the leadership of the earth, to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. I mean, look at the. (laughs) Look at some of the dynasties that have come and gone, and there are languages that aren't even spoken anymore. And, um. I think about the Aztecs and the Mayans, um. But also, like, you know, Egypt used to be one of the power players in the world. And now they're just Egypt. You know, I, I don't know what to say there. If you're from Egypt, please, please don't be insulted. But um, it, the, 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 the political power used to be different. And when Jesus was being interviewed by Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate said, don't you know the power I have? To either kill you or let you live. And Jesus said, "Uh, Yes, I know the power I have. I know the power you have because I gave it to you. And you would have nothing if I hadn't given it to you. So, I'm going to go political for 30 seconds. God chooses the world leadership, He is sovereign. Are we still responsible to vote? Yeah. Are we still responsible to have civil dialogue between our neighbors and honestly discuss the issues? Yeah. But we need to respect the position because God has organized it and Romans says uh, yeah, respect your authority because God put them there for a reason. Now if they're sick, like Nazi Germany, then go read up on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you know, good, good deeds will never be outlawed. But um, that's a tangent. Back to Isaiah forty. Um, to whom is equal with God? Um, lift your eyes. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number? And I believe in that section he's talking about the stars. Um, I I don't know if he's talking about the stars or not. Sorry. Um, and then the power of the God. Isaiah 40 ends by saying, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He sees the big picture. We're going to get into that later. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. I'm on English Standard Version here. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now... (laughs) Some of us have chronic illness and, you know, we can't walk and not be faint. Um, or I walk and my hip hurts, and uh, but I can dance and my hip is fine, so riddle me that. Um, and I definitely can't run and not be weary. So what what is God talking about here? He's talking about our faith when we wait on Him. Now that I've summarized Isaiah 40, let me jump over to... Luke three, we'll read that and then we'll start to put the pieces together. Luke three, New King James Version. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria and the region of Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, "'For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. "'And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. "'Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire.' "'So the people asked him, saying, "'What shall we do then?' "'He answered and said to them, "'He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. "'And he who has food, let him do likewise.' Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And many other exhortations he preached the people. But Herod the Tarcharch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up in prison. That is Luke 3, New King James Version, with a couple of verbal typos on my part, please forgive me. Um, so this, in the context of Luke 3, John is very clearly saying, Get right with God. Take a good hard look at your behavior. And, and, and think about who you want to live for. Are you living for yourself or are you living for Christ? Um, to break down this passage a little bit. The initial section gives us a... Date stamp of these are the people who are in power, and then this is John, and this is the prophecy he was fulfilling, and he warned people, don't think that you will um, get into heaven just because of your genetic heritage that is so such an arrogant thought it it doesn't matter God truly doesn't care who's Whose line you come from. He cares that you are bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. So the people ask, what does that look like? He says, share. If you have two sets of clothing, give one to somebody who doesn't have any. Now in that day and age, people normally only had one set of clothes. Like it was a luxury to have a second set of clothing, like... This huge wardrobe thing we're seeing happen, that's only been in the past few years. I mean, I remember reading a book about um, Plymouth Plantation, and the gal in that story had one dress, and she wore her underdress to bed, and then she put her dress back on to cover it during the daytime. So she had, like, de- like, this is a new phenomenon. So one set of clothing is is, is good, but if you don't have any, then you're you're stuck. Um, and he who is food let him do likewise now Proverbs very clearly tells us prepare for the day of trouble the wise man stores up and saves for the day of trouble whether that's winter whether that is recession If, if, if you are a wise and prudent man you are going to save up money and New Testament says a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel Now, let me tell you something. A godly man is going to tremble at that verse. So, ladies, if a man isn't taking that verse seriously and doesn't even know it exists, but then when he does know it exists, he takes it seriously, that's good. But if a man knows about that verse and he does not take it seriously, run. Run the other direction. I don't care what Disney feels he's given you. Just run, okay? Thank you. So... Um, providing for yourself and for your own is obviously very important scripture. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about being generous with your extra. And yes, God does call us to sacrificial giving. If you're broke, but you can only buy peanut butter and jelly, share half your sandwich. It's that simple. The tax collectors came and said, what shall we do? And he said, you know, just be fair about what you're doing. Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers, um, these might be Gentile soldiers. Most likely they were Roman soldiers. There's also a possibility they were Jewish soldiers, but that's not as likely. Um, And John the Baptist said, you know, don't use your position for gain. Don't intimidate. Don't accuse falsely. And be content with your wages. So, um... All of that sums up to play fair, do to others what you would have them do to you, which is the words of Jesus down the road, especially when Jesus was talking about being kind. You know, God intentionally put inequity into our existence. There are people who are more talented than others. There are people who have more stuff than others. There are people who have a gift for business or a gift for the arts and Listen, God is just calling us to faithfulness with whatever we have. And so if you have a if you have a gift for business like own it. Don't be ashamed of it. For oh my gosh, there is such a in response to the prosperity gospel, there's this pendulum swing of thought in the Christian church that having any material possessions is bad. It's like, no, quite the contrary. If you know how to be a good steward of money and create more value, do it. That is a gift God has given you. Run with it. Run with it. So be confident in that. And whatever gift God has given you, in my case, it's dance and teaching and watercolor and all the... I I don't even know what I do. Um, I'm responsible to God for what I do with that. And I'm also responsible to love my husband. So... um, be responsible to God. Love God with your gifts. And love people with your gifts. So. Um, now here's the thing. And then John goes on to talk about Christ is coming and I am not worthy to be his slave. That's the, the lowest slave in the household was the one who took the sandals off and washed people's feet. That's what John the Baptist is referring to here. It's a cultural um Convention. Um, you, you, if you've ever been in someone's house where the the rule is that you take your shoes off at the door, then you're barefoot or sock foot in the house. Like that's people have like hard rules about that. In this day and age, it was too hot to wear shoes and socks. So you wore sandals. But then when you came in the house, um, nice homes they would actually wash your feet as a courtesy because your feet were so gross. So to help you relax and enjoy yourself, they wash your feet. That's culture there. So don't, if you're, if you're not a foot person, you need to, like, yes, they knew better than you that feet were gross. So, um, so John the Baptist is saying, compared to Christ, he is the lowest slave in the house. Um, and then Herod really wasn't cool with John telling him the uncomfortable truth. Uh, (laughs) mm, I'm going to go here for a second. John commented on politics. Yes, he did. So, if you are criticizing uh, pastors for having a political opinion, um, yeah, that's that's not. And, um, oh boy, I'm resisting so many tangents here, so let's move on quickly. Um, So John is very clearly obeying this prophecy to prepare the way of the Lord. And he does that by challenging people on their behavior and their actions. Now I am going to jump to Matthew 17. I love this chapter for so many reasons. We have the transfiguration. And then we have the boy who is healed. And this is the epileptic son, uh, Lord, have mercy on my son, for is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. That was verse uh, 15 and 16. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That is Matthew 17, verse 15 through 21, and I added the faith as small as um, portion of that, so but mustard seed is, mustard seed is like the head of a pin oh gosh, some of you might not even know what the head of a pin is, mustard seed is um, the size of a phone jack it would fit inside of a phone jack, yeah, that's what, 21st century that's what we're going with, Uh, mustard seed is the size of a um, headphone jack. Yeah. Tiny. Tiny. And yet, a mustard tree is the biggest tree. And Jesus in other portions of scripture said, you know, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you it will grow into this tree and it will support birds and all these things. And this is something Jesus talked about regularly, being faith being as small as a mustard seed. And here in this context, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. So, based on the fact that I've never spoken to a clod of dirt and had it roll anywhere for me, um, I'm going to go with the assumption that Jesus is using metaphor here. (laughs) There's no evidence in scripture that Jesus himself or even the disciples actually moved big piles of dirt with their words. God did that at the beginning of creation, but he's the exception. So, this is the context of Jesus setting this young epileptic boy free. Now, this boy, um, I did recently podcast on how mental illness is both emotional, physical, and spiritual. So, yes, epilepsy is a physical condition, but it also can be the manifestation of a, a spiritual problem. And, God have mercy on us for prioritizing any one of those three things to the exclusion of the other two. Emotional, physical, and spiritual. They're all important. So, let's... Yeah, I don't know how to button my tangents. They're all important. Period. So, Jesus... (sighs) says a faithless and perverse generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i bear with you oh man he's calling them out on their lack of faith and their perverseness in the way that this father is coming to him i i'm just going to be honest here i don't understand that um i need i need more i need to learn more about this particular passage so um but Jesus rebukes the demon, it comes out of him, and the boy is cured from that moment on. Cured. And the disciples say, why couldn't we do what you did? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So, oh, this this concept is very strongly ingrained in my soul, but is also this nebulous cocktail of beautiful different elements and i'm going to try to verbalize them in a linear coherent fashion so here we go now let's deep dive analyze verse 20 through 21 of matthew 17 so jesus said to them you could not cast it out because of your unbelief okay so that's our preface and now he's going to explain why For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed... Now, I've talked about the principle of the seed and the tree, and let me break that down even more. Faith like a mustard seed. If you have faith the size of a headphone jack, God can grow that exponentially. That is the most beautiful thing in all of Scripture. If you have teeny tiny faith, that is all you need. It's all you need. And God is so gracious. He says in other parts of the Gospels... My yoke is easy, my burden is light, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out, and a bruised reed I will not break. You know, what good is a bruised reed, and what good is a smoldering wick? There are, I'm thinking right now of some of my Christian sisters, and their faith is like this tiny smoldering wick, and it's just, it's so precious to God. And um, so if your faith, is like a smoldering wick. Um, God can. God's hope and prayer and intention is to test you, and try you, and grow your faith in Him, so that you have a deeper trust for His character. That is faith, like a mustard seed. This tiny thing that becomes this exponentially powerful, immovable support structure. That is able to bless and provide shade and fruit and more mustard seeds. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move. Okay. We've already agreed that this is a metaphorical mountain. So. Let's look at the scriptures we've already read and try to identify other mountains that God might be referring to here. So when we looked at Isaiah 40, we looked at the idols. You know, those are, those are that, like my idol for people not judging me or people thinking nicely about me because I struggle with people pleasing. That's a huge idol. That's an idol that is part of, that's a, that's a, a flaw. It is part of my character that I'm, I'm probably going to struggle with one way or another till the end of my life. Um, And then when we went to Luke 3, John the Baptist very clearly said, um, get your hearts right with God. Bear the fruit of repentance, which is be sad about your actions to the point where you get up and you, you change. And then here in Matthew 17, this is so beautiful, you guys. Here in Matthew seventeen, Jesus says, "Jesus casts out the demon for this little boy, and this little boy did not have the willpower to repent on his own. He did not have the willpower to be set free from this demon on his own, otherwise he could have or he would have or maybe like there was a reason that that this father was so desperate." There was a reason. There was a reason that this father had... He had just enough faith to ask Jesus for help. Think about it. I mean, he says a faithless and perverse generation. Um, <laughs> we... Oh gosh. Mm. <sighs> when we truly understand when i truly understand another layer of my own sin another layer of my own arrogance and pride because pride is the root of all evil and all sin or the love of money is but again yeah, they're they're next to each other when i understand a deeper layer of my own sin um and there have been moments and days where i I've been so afraid to acknowledge my own sin, I've just laid in bed in the fetal position, just curled up like a little ball, just so afraid to face what the Holy Spirit was showing me. And that, what the Holy Spirit was showing me was something from like 10 years earlier. It took 10 years for me to be ready for my God to show me my sin. In that particular instance, so we have to understand that to be human is is to by nature even our the way that Paul says it I count all of my goodness as just rubbish, filthy rags. <sighs> when we understand the depth of our sin, we are then better able to understand the extent of God's grace. That it does cover all of it. All of it that... And here's here's the really amazing grace for the believer. Like, there, we, we are We're going to sin every day until the day we die. And so they're probably... there there are definitely, oh Lord Jesus help me, help me explain this biblically Um, there are there are more things that we're doing wrong than we have time and energy and life and knowledge of our worth in Christ to even face and repent of so the beauty of being a believer is that we just we just repent of stuff as God and our community shows it to us and then he he died for the stuff we know about, he died for the sin that we know about, and he died for the sin that we don't know about, because we are such wretched creatures that we sin and we don't know it. The Bible says we don't know the left hand from our right um, the The Bible says that in regards to a people who didn't know right from wrong, you don't know their their left hand, their right hand from their left and so. When Jesus says here, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. I believe that he's talking about the idols in our lives. I believe that he's talking about our behavior that is an expression of those idols. And I believe he's also talking about the demonic strongholds in our lives. That we are relatively powerless to overcome. Most of the time when I hear this moving mountains catchphrase, it takes me to, oh, I really love this song. Um, It's the one by Miley Cyrus. There's always going to be another mountain, and I'm going to want to make it move. It's like, okay, in that song, she's using this word picture as a reference to circumstances. And yes, God can move and change circumstances. However, God is more concerned with the mountains within our heart than the circumstances around us. So, if we are walking and living life under the impression that if our circumstances changed, that we would be better, holier, happy people, then we're, we're not understanding the work of the Holy Spirit correctly. Um, there was a poem I recorded um a number of years ago. Sanded soul. Oh man, I don't even um let me see if I can remember it <sighs> It wasn't small, the wrench's heart only squeeze out in part by why me, why he in thoughts of that you see. So how can one grow a heart, or is it more carved out by art? What is the sandpaper which smooths inside the lining of our nature? Sacrifice grinds and grates, also forgiving that person I hate. Giving up my way for yours changes me from selfish whore. Only when I'm empty am I strong. Full of hate I don't belong. God of grace, soften my sanded soul. Please pour out your oil for all. Now that is a rough abbreviation of that poem. But, you know, our selfishness is this thing that's constantly growing inside of us, and it's squeezing out room for the Holy Spirit. You know, if, 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 if the living God is making his home as a guest inside your heart, don't you want to make it a clean, welcoming environment for him? That's, that's what it means to be a good host. So sometimes when God is sanctifying us, he will, he will change the, the grit on that sandpaper. He'll go from a, a smoothing, polishing one to a, a stronger one that's really gonna st- shred away a whole section of stuff, and then he'll 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 change it again to smooth it out, and um, that's the process of sanctification, and it's ongoing to the day I die. God is gonna be sanding my soul, and I'm going to be repenting of stuff till the day I die. Like Lord, please, that thought against that person was judgmental. That thought against that item or situation was selfish lord jesus please heal and redeem me and and help me to run from my sin holiness is not determined by um you know what you do or don't do only it's determined by how quickly you run towards righteousness so if you have the external package going on, but you're not running towards right- righteousness, and you're just using this facade to hide your selfishness behind it, uh, Jesus called those people Pharisees. Yeah. And he said, you tithe a tenth of all of your herbs, but you don't care about justice and mercy and sacrifice. Like, you hypocrites. And Jesus said very strong words for people who, who lived and hid their selfishness behind this facade and uh, that's, that's later on in the book of Matthew <sighs> if you have faith as a mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you now is anything impossible for God? no, however as previously stated God is always going to be using our circumstances to expand our capacity to love and sanctify us and reveal our sin to us so that we can repent of it and have more room for the goodness of God and for the Holy Spirit in our hearts so we can grow in holiness. Oh man, when you're filled, with when, when the Lord God has shredded you, has Shredded me and then I get to say something really powerful. It is just like the most meaningful thing ever. It's like yes I had nothing to do with that. I just let God make me repent and then I showed up and then he, he worked through me. Oh man, That gives me such a kick and I have to go to him be like Lord, please don't let me idolize that feeling Let me keep my eyes fixed on you whether you choose to use me to speak to thousands of people Or millions or what have you. Or if it's just me being faithful in my home to my husband. In my church to my neighbors in my apartment complex. Bringing chicken casserole. Texting the girl next door. Hey, do you need anything? I'm at the grocery store. Even if... Even if... if God never does anything with my dancing... Am I going to be faithful to love in this small microcosm? Because, as previously stated in Isaiah 40, we are the grass of the field. We are here today, gone tomorrow. Our life is a vapor. These beautiful buildings, even something as grand as the Taj Mahal, it is still a glorified tent for a camping trip. This life is a camping trip. Keep that in mind. And if you think interior design in this life is a big deal, you should see the palace God has been working on for over two millennia. Yeah, I am so stoked to see that interior design. Oh, Mama. Oh, Jesus, please. Take me. <clears throat> I really love that. He's, he's good to me about it. I'm, I'm very gracious. So, I'm b- very appreciative. <laughs> um... Nothing will be impossible for you. Impossible is a matter of holiness. Uh, Let me try and phrase that better. No act of love or obedience will be impossible for you. Now, if we go to the New Testament... Paul begged God three times to take this physical ailment away from him. And God did not. And he said, I am letting you have this thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. Ouch. So, um, will we all have the physical strength of Olympian, Olympians, or the the constitution of, of healthy, energetic people? I mean, there, like, Amy Carmichael spent the last few years of her life completely bedridden, praying, interceding, writing books, and running a ministry from her bed. So this is not about physical possibility. This is not about you can be anything you can be. That is that is a twisting of the truth. Therefore, that is a lie from the pit of hell. You cannot be anything you want to be. No. I, I cannot be a bodybuilder. I cannot... I, I, I mean, maybe possibly if I got in the right vitamins, I could be a marathon runner. Maybe. But that's, that, that's not anywhere in my goals for my life. I'm just going to say that. Um, we're, we're not going to walk on water. Let's take it to the next level. I am never going to walk on water. Ever. Not like Jesus did. I mean, fancy camera tricks, yeah, I can rig that up with enough money, but walking on water the way Jesus did? No. No. Surfing? I stood up on a board maybe twice, so I, that's all I got. And that was with a floaty, obviously. So, um, impossibility is about walking in holiness. Now, he, then Jesus clarifies his actions, and he says, However, this kind, meaning Referencing the demon, demonic stronghold that came out of the boy with epilepsy. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. It's time to talk about this, y'all. Our ability to make war for the kingdom of God is dependent on prayer and fasting. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you fast, not if, when. Now, am I talking about skipping meals? I've already talked about, you know, physical limitations. I, I have hypoglycemia. It is not wise for me to skip meals. I did fast one time for a week and God did a lot of awesome discussion during that week. That's the only time I plan on doing that. And most of the other fasting I've done has been from just chocolate, caffeine, tea, decaf, um, alcohol, even just, okay. so, So what I'm talking about here, social media, Here's the importance of fasting. Fasting is not about going without food. Like, on a practical level, level, that's what we first think of, yes. But on a larger scale, scientifically, fasting is about denying myself an expected source of happiness. A source of happiness that I depend on. So for you, that might be video games, that might be social media that might be um, that might be shopping. Um, maybe you're a foodie and you need to um, you need to sacrifice restaurant eating, you know. The, the god of the stomach uh, C.S. Lewis has a really incredible point he makes in the book um, uh, so the screw tape letters and there are two demons that are talking to each other about how to lead their their humans that they've been assigned to how to lead them astray and the one makes the point to the other that you know gluttony isn't about you know having five pounds of chocolate or whatever um, that wasn't the example used but Gluttony isn't about the amount or the quantity. It's about, oh, getting just the perfect cup of tea. Oh, I want the perfect Starbucks coffee. Mmm. 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 Like, Starbucks is designer coffee. And, I mean, you're free to spend your money on whatever you want. But that's not something I feel comfortable spending my money on. Not on a regular basis, anyways <sighs> um, So, the God of our stomach um, Yeah, pretty pretty uncomfortable there um, Some of you may need to get up earlier to talk to God And fast from, like, an extra hour of sleep Depends on the person But if I'm talking to you and you've got that uncomfortable wiggle going on inside your soul, then um, I'm just verbalizing what the Holy Spirit already talked to you about. I mean, if you can't keep your eyes open at night, when are you going to talk to God? It's not going to be at the lunch hour when your brain is worrying about these forms and that thing and this list and you're trying to chill and you're trying to text your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your thing to meet up later, like... So when are you going to get your time with God so that you can be purified by spending time in the presence of the Most High, Holy God, and then He will continue to rearrange the desires of your heart to want Him more? And then you go and you interact with the world in power and holiness and the power of love? The holy power of love? Oh my gosh oh my gosh, the only way to really love people is to have the the Holy Spirit inside of you and to see them the way that God made them, to see them through the eyes of their creator, not as the beggar outside of the grocery store or the, the selfish dude in the fancy car who took up two parking spots Outside of vitamin shop You know See them with the eyes of the creator Of Yes, maybe they are broken Maybe they are selfish But they are still made in his image And God says In as much as you love the least of these You love me it's a lot of the these a lot of the bible talks about how we love the person next to us how do we love the people who are of a different social status than us and here in america we don't have well-defined ranks but in a sense we do we have we have strata and subcultures and Um, A lot of times we idolize that upper class um, lifestyle, but if we think that having more money or having more rank is going to make us feel more loved, we're deluding ourselves. And the joy is found in in knowing Christ and just trusting Him and then loving the people around us. I'm, I'm regularly called to account and, and think about the hard truth that if I don't love my husband who lives with me, how can I love anybody? And so love means serving other people and not expecting anything back. And yes, in healthy friendships, I have a trust relationship that that person is going to give to give back to me. But when I'm called to love my enemies, scripture clearly says pray for them, get my heart motives right, do good to them, you know, while maintaining healthy boundaries, what can I do that will bless them and then expect nothing? All three of those are really hard. Really, really hard. I oh, oh. I asked God a few months ago to expand my capacity to love. And he sent me a person who, who needs this protocol. And... Oh, I mean, I, I might be repenting about this till I'm dead. I might be. I might be. It is that uncomfortable. So. I don't know about you. But I want to be powerful for the kingdom of God. Now if that powerful for the kingdom looks like loving my husband and bringing chicken casserole to a Wednesday memorial service. So that a family can feel loved and grieve together and not worry about food. Or hanging out with a family of young girls and just pouring into their life and being a blessing to them. Or just talking to the guy next to me in the grocery store line or whatever. I still want to be powerful for the kingdom of God. I want to love people powerfully. You know... You know, I live in an apartment complex, people are coming and going all the time Give water to the movers They're not even helping me move, they're helping other people move Give them water It it doesn't cost me anything but water And, and time and, and having somebody in my home That I otherwise would never meet or talk to So I hope that this has expanded your vision for the meaning of moving mountains, and I hope that you have the courage to ask God to help you move them within your own life and within the lives of those around you. My name is Meg, I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Go live it.